Chapters sixteen and seventeen of On the Eve by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter sixteen. Soon after her acquaintance with Insarov, Elena, for the fifth or sixth time, began a diary. Here are some extracts from it. June. Andrei Petrovitch brings me books, but I can't read them. I'm ashamed to confess it to him, but I don't like to give back the books, tell lies, say I have read them. I feel that would mortify him. He is always watching me. He seems devoted to me. A very good man, Andrei Petrovitch. What is it I want? Why is my heart so heavy, so oppressed? Why do I watch the birds with envy as they fly past? I feel that I could fly with them, fly, where I don't know, but far from here. And isn't that desire sinful? I have here mother, father, home. Don't I love them? No, I don't love them, as I should like to love. It's dreadful to put that in words, but it's the truth. Perhaps I am a great sinner. Perhaps that is why I am so sad, why I have no peace. Some hand seems laid on me, weighing me down, as though I were in prison, and the walls would fall on me directly. Why is it others don't feel this? Whom shall I love if I am cold to my own people? It's clear, papa is right. He reproaches me for loving nothing but cats and dogs. I must think about that. I pray very little. I must pray. Ah, I think I should know how to love. I am still shy with Mr. Insarov. I don't know why. I believe I am not schoolgirlish generally, and he is so simple and kind. Sometimes he has a very serious face. He can't give much thought to us. I feel that, and am ashamed in a way to take up his time. With Andrei Petrovitch it's quite a different thing. I am ready to chat with him the whole day long. But he, too, always talks of Insarov. And such terrible facts he tells me about him. I saw him in a dream last night with a dagger in his hand, and he seemed to say to me, I will kill you, and I will kill myself. What silliness! Oh, if someone would say to me, There, that's what you must do. Being good isn't much. Doing good? Yes, that's the great thing in life. But how is one to do good? Oh, if I could learn to control myself! I don't know why I am so often thinking of Mr. Insarov. When he comes and sits and listens intently, but makes no effort, no exertion himself, I look at him and feel pleased, and that's all. And when he goes, I always go over his words, and feel vexed with myself, and upset even. I can't tell why. He speaks French badly and isn't ashamed of it. I like that. I always think a lot about new people, though. As I talk to him, I suddenly was reminded of our butler, Vassili, who rescued an old cripple out of a hut that was on fire and was almost killed himself. Papa called him a brave fellow, Mamma gave him five roubles, and I felt as though I could fall at his feet. And he had a simple face, stupid-looking even, and he took to drink later on. I gave a penny today to a beggar-woman, and she said to me, Why are you so sorrowful? I never suspected I looked sorrowful. I think it must come from being alone, always alone, for better, for worse. There is no one to stretch out a hand to me. Those who come to me I don't want, and those I would choose pass me by. I don't know what's the matter with me today. 
my head is confused i want to fall on my knees and beg and pray for mercy i don't know by whom or how but i feel as if i were being tortured and inwardly i am shrieking in revolt i weep and can't be quiet oh my god subdue these outbreaks in me thou alone canst aid me all else is useless my miserable alms-giving my studies can do nothing 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 to help me i should like to go out as a servant somewhere really that would do me good what is my youth for what am i living for why have i a soul what is it all for insarov mr insarov upon my word i don't know how to write still interests me i should like to know what he has within in his soul he seems so open so easy to talk to but i can see nothing sometimes he looks at me with such searching eyes or is that my fancy paul keeps teasing me i am angry with paul what does he want he's in love with me but his love's no good to me he's in love with zoya too i'm unjust to him he told me yesterday i didn't know how to be unjust by halves that's true it's very horrid ah i feel one needs unhappiness or poverty or sickness or else one gets conceited directly what made andrei petrovitch tell me to-day about those two bulgarians he told me it as it were with some intention what have i to do with mr insarov i feel cross with andrei petrovitch i take my pen and don't know how to begin how unexpectedly he began to talk to me in the garden to-day how friendly and confiding he was how quickly it happened as if we were old old friends and had only just recognized each other how could i have not understood him before how near he is to me now and what's so wonderful i feel ever so much calmer now it's ludicrous yesterday i was angry with andrei petrovitch and angry with him i even called him mr insarov and to-day here at last is a true man some one one may depend on he won't tell lies he's the first man i have met who never tells lies all the others tell lies everything's lying andrei petrovitch dear good friend why do i wrong you no andrei petrovitch is more learned than he is even perhaps more intellectual but i don't know he seems so small beside him when he speaks of his country he seems taller and his face grows handsome and his voice is like steel and no it seems as though there were no one in the world before whom he would flinch and he doesn't only talk he has acted and he will act i shall ask him how suddenly he turned to me and smiled it's only brothers that smile like that ah how glad i am when he came the first time i never dreamt that we should so soon get to know each other and now i am even pleased that i remained indifferent to him at first indifferent am i not indifferent then now it's long since i have felt such inward peace i feel so quiet so quiet and there's nothing to write i see him often and that's all what more is there to write paul shuts himself up andrei petrovitch has taken to coming less often poor fellow i fancy he but that can never be though i like talking to andrei petrovitch never a word of self always of something sensible useful very different from shubin shubin's as fine as a butterfly and admires his own finery which butterflies don't do 
but both Shubin and Andrei Petrovitch, I know what I mean. He enjoys coming to us, I see that. But why? What does he find in me? It's true our tastes are alike, he and I. Both of us don't care for poetry, neither of us knows anything of art. But how much better he is than I! He is calm. I am in perpetual excitement. He has chosen his path, his aim, while I— Where am I going? Where is my home? He is calm, but all his thoughts are far away. The time will come and he will leave us for ever, will go home, there over the sea. Well, God grant he may. Anyway, I shall be glad that I knew him while he was here. Why isn't he a Russian? No, he could not be Russian. Mamma, too, likes him, she says, an unassuming young man. Dear Mamma, she does not understand him. Paul says nothing. He guessed I didn't like his hints, but he's jealous of him. Spiteful boy! And what right has he? Did I ever? All that's nonsense. What makes all that come into my head? Isn't it strange, though, that up till now, up to twenty, I have never loved any one? I believe that the reason why D's, I shall call him D, I like that name, Dmitri, soul is so clear, is that he is entirely given up to his work, his ideal. What has he to trouble about? When any one has utterly, utterly given himself up, he has little sorrow, he is not responsible for anything. It's not I want, but it wants. By the way, he and I both love the same flowers. I picked a rose this morning, one leaf fell, he picked it up, I gave him the whole rose. D. often comes to us. Yesterday he spent the whole evening. He wants to teach me Bulgarian. I feel happy with him, quite at home, more than at home. The days fly past. I am happy and somehow discontent, and I am thankful to God, and tears are not far off. Oh, these hot, bright days! I am still light-hearted as before, and only at times, and only a little, sad. I am happy. Am I happy? It will be long before I forget the expedition yesterday. What strange, new, terrible impressions, when he suddenly took that great giant and flung him like a ball into the water! I was not frightened, yet he frightened me. And afterwards, what an angry face, almost cruel! How he said, he will swim out! It gave me a shock, so I did not understand him. And afterwards, when they all laughed, when I was laughing, how I felt for him! He was ashamed. I felt that he was ashamed before me. He told me so afterwards in the carriage in the dark, when I tried to get a good view of him and was afraid of him. Yes, he is not to be trifled with, and he is a splendid champion. But why that wicked look, those trembling lips, that angry fire in his eyes? Or is it perhaps inevitable? Isn't it possible to be a man, a hero, and to remain soft and gentle? Life is a coarse business, he said to me once lately. I repeated that saying to Andrei Petrovitch. He did not agree with D. Which of them is right? But the beginning of that day, how happy I was walking beside him, even without speaking. But I am glad of what happened. I can see that it was quite as it should be. Restlessness again. I am not quite well. All these days I have written nothing in this book, because I have had no wish to write. I felt, whatever I write, it won't be what is in my heart. 
And what is in my heart? I have had a long talk with him, which revealed a great deal. He told me his plan. By the way, I know now how he got the wound in his neck. Good God, when I think he was actually condemned to death, that he was only just saved, that he was wounded. He prophesies war and will be glad of it. And for all that, I never saw D so depressed. What can he, he, be depressed by? Papa arrived home from town and came upon us too. He looked rather queerly at us. Andrei Petrovitch came. I noticed he had grown very thin and pale. He reproved me, saying I behaved too coldly and inconsiderately to Shubin. I had utterly forgotten Paul's existence. I will see him and try to smooth over my offence. He is nothing to me now, nor any one else in the world. Andrei Petrovitch talked to me in a sort of commiserating way. What does it all mean? Why is everything around me and within me so dark? I feel as if about me and within me something mysterious were happening for which I want to find the right word. I did not sleep all night. My head aches. What's the good of writing? He went away so quickly to-day, and I wanted to talk to him. He almost seems to avoid me. Yes, he avoids me. The word is found. Light has dawned on me. My God, have pity on me. I love him. Chapter 17 on the very day on which Elena had written this last fatal line in her diary, Insarov was sitting in Bersenev's room, and Bersenev was standing before him with a look of perplexity on his face. Insarov had just announced his intention of returning to Moscow the next day. "'Upon my word!' cried Bersenev. "'Why, the finest part of the summer is just beginning. What will you do in Moscow? What a sudden decision! Or have you had news of some sort?' I have had no news, replied Insarov, but on thinking things over I find I cannot stop here. How can that be? Andrei Petrovitch, said Insarov, be so kind, don't insist, please. I am very sorry myself to be leaving you, but it can't be helped. Bersenev looked at him intently. I know, he said at last, there's no persuading you. And so it's a settled matter, is it? absolutely settled replied insarov getting up and going away bersenev walked about the room then took his hat and set off for the stahovs you have something to tell me elena said to him directly they were left alone yes how did you guess never mind tell me what it is bersenev told her of insarov's intention elena turned white what does it mean she articulated with effort you know observed bersenev dmitri nikanorovitch does not care to give reasons for his actions but i think let us sit down elena nikolaevna you don't seem very well i fancy i can guess what is the real cause of this sudden departure what what cause repeated elena and unconsciously she gripped tightly Bersenev's hand in her chill fingers. "'You see,' began Bersenev, with a pathetic smile, "'how can I explain to you? I must go back to last spring, to the time when I began to be more intimate with Insarov. I used to meet him then at the house of a relative who had a daughter, a very pretty girl, I thought that Insarov cared for her, and I told him so.' 
He laughed, and answered that I was mistaken, that he was quite heart-whole, but if anything of that sort did happen to him, he should run away directly, as he did not want, in his own words, for the sake of personal feeling, to be false to his cause and his duty. I am a Bulgarian, he said, and I have no need of a Russian love. Well, so now you, whispered Elena. She involuntarily turned away her head, like a man expecting a blow, but still she held the hand she had clutched. I think, he said, and his own voice sank, I think that what I fancied then has really happened now. That is, you think, don't torture me, broke suddenly from Elena. I think, Bersenyev continued hurriedly, that Insarov is in love now with the Russian girl, and he is resolved to go according to his word. Elena clasped his hand still tighter, and her head drooped still lower, as if she would hide from other eyes the flush of shame which suddenly blazed over her face and neck. Andrei Petrovitch, you are kind as an angel, she said, but will he come to say good-bye? Yes, I imagine so. He will be sure to come. He wouldn't like to go away. Tell him, tell him. But here the poor girl broke down. Tears rushed streaming from her eyes, and she ran out of the room. So that's how she loves him, thought Bersenyev, as he walked slowly home. I didn't expect that. I didn't think she felt so strongly. I am kind, she says, he pursued his reflections. Who can tell what feelings, what impulse drove me to tell Elena all that? It was not kindness, no, not kindness. It was all the accursed desire to make sure whether the dagger is really in the wound. I ought to be content. They love each other, and I have been of use to them. The future go-between between science and the Russian public, Shubin calls me. It seems as though it had been decreed at my birth that I should be a go-between. But if I'm mistaken, no, I'm not mistaken. It was bitter for Andrei Petrovitch, and he could not turn his mind to Rauma. The next day at two o'clock Insarov arrived at the Stahovs. As though by express design, there was a visitor in Anna Vasilyevna's drawing-room at the time, the wife of a neighbouring chief priest, an excellent and worthy woman, though she had had a little unpleasantness with the police, because she thought fit, in the hottest part of the day, to bathe in a lake near the road, along which a certain dignified general's family used often to be passing. The presence of an outside person was at first even a relief to Elena, from whose face every trace of colour vanished directly she heard in Sarov's step, but her heart sank at the thought that he might go without a word with her alone. He, too, seemed confused and avoided meeting her eyes. Surely he will not go directly, thought Elena. Insarov was, in fact, turning to take leave of Anna Vasilyevna. Elena hastily rose and called him aside to the window. The priest's wife was surprised and tried to turn round, but she was so tightly laced that her stays creaked at every movement, and she stayed where she was. Listen, said Elena hurriedly, I know what you have come for. Andrei Petrovitch has told me of your intention, but I beg, I entreat you, do not say good-bye to us to-day, but come here to-morrow, rather earlier, at eleven. I must have a few words with you. Insarov bent his head without speaking. I will not keep you. You promise me? Again Insarov bowed, but said nothing. Lenotchka, come here, said Anna Vasilyevna, 
Look, what a charming reticule! I worked it myself, observed the priest's wife. Elena came away from the window. Insarov did not stay more than a quarter of an hour at the Stahovs. Elena watched him secretly. He was restless and ill at ease. As before, he did not know where to look, and he went away strangely and suddenly. He seemed to vanish. Slowly passed that day for Elena, still more slowly dragged on the long, long night. Elena sat on her bed, her arms clasping her knees, and her head laid on them. Then she walked to the window, pressed her burning forehead against the cold glass, and thought and thought, going over and over the same thoughts till she was exhausted. Her heart seemed turned to stone, she did not feel it, but the veins in her head throbbed painfully, her hair stifled her, and her lips were dry. He will come. He did not say good-bye to mamma. He will not deceive me. Can Andrei Petrovitch have been right? It cannot be. He didn't promise to come in words. Can I have parted for him for ever? Those were the thoughts that never left her, literally never left her. They did not come and come again. They were forever turning like a mist moving about in her brain. He loves me, suddenly flashed through her, setting her whole nature on fire, and she gazed fixedly into the darkness. A secret smile parted her lips, seen by none, but she quickly shook her head and clasped her hands behind her neck, and again her former thought hung like a mist about her. Before morning she undressed and went to bed, but she could not sleep. The first fiery ray of sunlight fell upon her room. "'Oh, if he loves me!' she cried suddenly, and unabashed by the light shining on her, she opened wide her arms. She got up, dressed, and went down. No one in the house was awake yet. She went into the garden, but in the garden it was peaceful, green, and fresh. The birds chirped so confidingly, and the flowers peeped out so gaily that she could not bear it. "'Oh,' she thought, "'if it is true, no blade of grass is happy as I. But is it true?' She went back to her room, and to kill time she began changing her dress. But everything slipped out of her hands, and she was still sitting half-dressed before her looking-glass when she was summoned to morning tea. She went down, her mother noticed her pallor, but only said, "'How interesting you are to-day!' and taking her in in a glance, she added, "'How well that dress suits you! You should always put it on when you want to make an impression on anyone.' Elena made no reply, and sat down in a corner. Meanwhile it struck nine o'clock. There were only two hours now till eleven. Elena tried to read, then to sew, then to read again, then she vowed to herself to walk a hundred times up and down one alley, and paced it a hundred times. Then, for a long time, she watched Anna Vassilievna laying out the cards for patience, and looked at the clock. It was not yet ten. Shubin came into the drawing-room. She tried to talk to him, and begged his pardon, what for she did not know herself. Every word she uttered did not cost her effort exactly, but roused a kind of amazement in herself. Shubin bent over her. She expected ridicule raised her eyes, and saw before her a sorrowful and sympathetic face. She smiled at this face. Shubin, too, smiled at her without speaking, and gently left her. She tried to keep him, but could not at once remember what to call him. At last it struck eleven. Then she began to wait, 
to wait, and to listen. She could do nothing now. She ceased even to think. Her heart was stirred into life again, and began beating louder and louder, and strange to say the time seemed flying by. A quarter of an hour passed, then half an hour, a few minutes more, as Elena thought, had passed, when suddenly she started. The clock had struck not twelve, but one. He is not coming. He is going away without saying good-bye. The blood rushed to her head with this thought. She felt that she was gasping for breath, that she was on the point of sobbing. She ran to her own room, and fell with her face in her clasped hands onto the bed. For half an hour she lay motionless. The tears flowed through her fingers onto the pillow. Suddenly she raised herself and sat up. Something strange was passing in her. Her face changed, her wet eyes grew dry and shining, her brows were bent and her lips compressed. Another half-hour passed. Elena, for the last time, strained her ears to listen. Was not that the familiar voice floating up to her? She got up, put on her hat and gloves, threw a cape over her shoulders, and slipping unnoticed out of the house, she went with swift steps along the road leading to Bersenev's lodging. End of chapter 17